Thanks to Harry's for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, and shave gel. Go to Harry's.com/fool. It's Tuesday, October seventeenth. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Hidden Gems, Seth Jason. Thanks for being here. I used to live here. You used. To... <laughs> You're welcome back anytime. Anytime. For those unfamiliar. For the longtime listeners know Seth Jason. For those who are relatively new, Seth not only is one of the advisors of the Motley Fool's small cap service, Hidden Gems, he's also probably the most experienced marathon runner at the company because you've done north of 80, 80 marathons. Some, 80, 82, 83. Somewhere like that. And this coming Sunday, October 22nd, is the Marine Corps Marathon. And I'm running it, and I need all the help I can get. So we're going to talk. Is this your second? This is my second, second. time around. Okay. Yes, and I need all the help I can get. I've made all the mistakes. <laughs> so I know stuff not to do. Uh, but first, let's uh, we'll we'll get into that. But we got to start with some uh, earnings news, and we'll start with Netflix. Third quarter report featured. 5.3 million new subscribers. Uh, that was higher than the expected 4.5 million. And there was much rejoicing. There was much rejoicing. rejoicing. Uh, well, let's, we'll get to the rejoicing in a second. I mean, most of the growth was in international. Mm-hmm. In terms of the stock reaction after hours and then early today, the stock hit a new high and then it sort of fell back to earth a little bit. Like it, it didn't come crashing down, but it's. It's, it's just Netflix. It can't. Down, a down day for Netflix is. Like down a percent nowadays. Yes. not like the old days. Yes, exactly. So, and again, this is the this is against the backdrop of over the past year, the stock has doubled. Yeah, and since, I mean, since 2012 or something, it's a 20 bagger or something or, or yeah. a 10 bagger. I, I, my, my, let's put it this way: the numbers at the bottom of the graph were so small, I couldn't tell if the price <laughs> was 10 or 20 at the bottom. So, what did you think of the quarter? I thought it was interesting, and I don't follow Netflix that closely all the time since I kind of missed my opportunity years ago, literally because I just forgot to buy the shares. I went, oh, Netflix finally looks cheap at one of those points, and then just forgot. It was a bad move. But um, Netflix is in the state of still hyper-growth and can almost do no wrong as far as investors are concerned, so long as they keep adding subscribers. And I find the conference call interesting because it is—it's all just talking about uh, the shows that are coming up. And so, there's a—the question for investors is: Is it really? Are they going to be able to consistently produce these amazing shows that that people love so much? And I thought House of Cards absolutely sucked. It drove me nuts. But, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, Stranger Things and Narcos and some of the others I absolutely love. So House of Cards sort of established Netflix as a creator of content, but a lot of other shows since then have proved that they've got a decent formula or have been very lucky a bunch of times, which which it is. We'll never know, I suppose. And um, because it, this is important because they're spending like six, seven, eight billion dollars a year on this stuff. None of that really shows up in the profit and loss statements. Well, it, it's this stuff is. Amortized, it's expensed over time. So the cash flow here is is negative because they spend so much every year getting this new content, and no longer are they going to be getting those big movies from outfits like Disney and others. They have said the writing is on the wall. That stuff's going to go away. All of those entities are going to have their own 
uh, streaming services or they're working with Hulu because they're more involved with Hulu and we're kind of going our own way. And that is a question you can't attach numbers to. And so the stock is going to trade uh, on sentiment until until such time as it doesn't. <laughs> so you mentioned the the amount of money they're spending on content, and that's certainly one of the big headlines for Netflix when you look at the coverage from this quarter. The the possibility that in 2018 they could spend eight billion dollars on content, and I look at that and one of my thoughts is, yeah, but they also just announced that they're raising prices a buck or so. Yeah, yeah. and so if and, they, and you're growing your revenue at 30 percent or something, that doesn't seem to matter, but then you're kind of on a treadmill. Can you ever get off that treadmill is the question. Do you ever get this, do you ever reach the scale where where it doesn't matter? And obviously the folks inside of Netflix must believe it it they do reach that point. But I can't I can't get the lines on the graph to cross yeah. myself, but maybe I'm just too stupid. Well and I look at it and I look at sort of the way that Reed Hastings, particularly on this call, one of the one of the things from this conference call was uh, he and others were sort of wearing branded Netflix gear, which I, I've been saying for this, years. The ugly Stranger Things sweater. Yeah, but I've been saying for years, why doesn't Netflix have a store? Why aren't they making a couple of extra bucks off of merchandise related to these shows that they own? But uh, so there, you know, I, I applaud <laughs> Pablo him. Pablo Escobar. Uh... <laughs> Anchor nautical themed sweatshirts from Narcos. Sure, why not? You'd buy one of those. You're oh, a fan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but I I don't know. I look at this and I think I I don't really see any speed bumps for the next couple of years anyway. But to your point about the treadmill, that's where I think it gets sort of murky. And maybe maybe if you're trying to see more than a year or two into the future of any particular company, uh, you're you're. You're making a mistake, but over the next couple of years, it, it I don't know. I, I don't. We're really in the kind. Of, yeah, we're in the kind of market right now where nobody is looking at the, nobody's looking at the the bad potential problems. No one's looking at this and saying, well, what happens if they pay a bunch of money to create this content and then they have a, a string of flops? Right now, it's all well. Everything can only be good, and, and the, the market in general is trading that way. But Netflix, in particular, what are they? A couple of hundred times earnings, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also you see people throwing out scenarios like, well, what if, uh, what if uh, Amazon just decides they're going to offer up their own standalone streaming? So they're going to take Amazon Prime Streaming, they're going to spin it off. It's going to be a, a separate thing, and it's just seven bucks a month. And it's like, okay, yeah, they could do that, but until they do that, yeah. uh, I don't think that's necessarily a concern. And they haven't had as many hits, as, right? So yeah, it's. I mean, maybe they do have. Maybe they do have a. Better content creation engine at Netflix than than anywhere else. But when I hear people talking about, oh, well, we just get these folks on board and we let them be very creative, I tend to think that's probably happening at other places as well. I don't think anyone's like, you know, how we're going to get great content? We're going to tell those directors exactly how to make their shows. Well, I th I think that is I think that is still basically true at traditional broadcast television. Yeah, but I I don't think that is necessarily true at places like. Amazon, Amazon or Hulu, FX, yeah. AMC, that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Let's move on to Harley Davidson. Their third quarter profits and revenue came in lower than a year ago, and and this is in terms of the stock anyway. This is the mirror opposite of 
Netflix, where mm-hmm. as Netflix opened this morning at a brand new all time high and then dropped back down a little bit, Harley Davidson opened this morning at a 52 week low and then has gone back up to the point where it's up about three four percent. Yeah, Harley. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to you know hate on Harley Davidson, but what has happened in the last two hours or so to make people think? Oh no no no, it's actually much better than we thought. Well, yeah, it's not quite as bad. I don't know. Harley has a problem, which is that uh, the the folks who want to get on a big huge motorcycle going that's a dwindling supply, and they acknowledge this in their call, talking about how they need to get new riders, and they have a lot of plans and programs to painstakingly create new riders. Uh, they've tried to reach out to younger generations with uh, motorcycles that are less expensive and the margins aren't as great. Uh, you know, I think motorcycle sales were down 14%. When a company like Harley is talking about inventory management and they're talking about like social media hits and signups in Europe, then you know that yeah. things aren't going so well. They're 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 trying to find new ways to market, uh, and they're having trouble with their core consumer. And I am one of those people. Who I always sort of wondered why everybody was excited about Harley's for ten or fifteen years because before that it was kind of a niche thing. Like my uncle Charlie was always a Harley type dude, a big hairy dude who rode Harley's, and then all of a sudden every middle-aged yuppie dude was growing a beard and buying one of those helmets and riding a Harley and now that's sort of fading. You know, some of them are just getting too old to to hold those giant motorcycles up anymore. So a year or two ago on this podcast, I think it was because we were talking about Harley and I think it was Bill Barker who made the point that in talking about the brand appeal, he made the point what other brand out there is so beloved that people are literally tattooing the brand on their bodies. And in fact, if you think about Bieber, <laughs> well, we were trying to stick to publicly traded companies, but yeah, if you want to go Justin Bieber, you could do that. But I think one other thing with Harley Davidson, and this is the opposite of of uh, something we've talked about most recently with airlines. If 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 part of the bull case right now for airline stocks is the price of fuel is not as expensive as it used to be. For a pretty decent amount of time, part of, not the main, but part of the bull case for motorcycles in general and Harley Davidson in particular was the price of gas going up. And it's le- it's one less compelling argument to buy a motorcycle if all of a sudden gas is under $3 a gallon in perpetuity. Yeah, I'm not sure that I, maybe maybe there are coincidences that that prove otherwise, or people might say they do. I'm not sure that the price of gas matters all that much for some of these leisure vehicles. I watch the RV industry pretty closely, and you would expect high gas prices to put a major crimp on RV sales. And they don't generally do that. And even the folks inside the RV industry said, you know, it's not so much high prices, it's volatility that spooks people. But right now, RV shipments are near all-time highs. And, and and motorcycles aren't. So that tells you that that this people are spending their leisure uh, vehicle money in a different place right now. I, I would be far more interested in a motorcycle if I lived somewhere outside of a city. I think if I lived somewhere in the country somewhere, I'd be more likely to. I got I got over them a long time ago when I used to ride every day. It was my commuting vehicle. And after, really? after nearly being killed enough times, I said, no more of this. <laughs> Wait a minute. 
Was this when you were in Minnesota? Yeah, between college and grad school. Yeah. Even in the winter? Uh, no, in the winter, I did not commute on the motorcycle. Okay, probably, probably <laughs> just as tough. well. Uh, before we go on, I want to say thanks again to Harry's for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Uh, I've been saying for a while now, I love Harry's products. I've been a customer of theirs for years, well, well before they were sponsoring this podcast. And Harry's is so confident that you're going to love their blades. They'll give you their trial set for free. Just cover the three dollars in shipping. And by the way. When it comes to taking care of your razor, this is a little tip picked up from our friend Clark Howard, consumer advocate Clark Howard, who we had on the Motley Fool Money Show years ago. Dry off your razor when you're done. Don't just like shave and then just put it aside. No, no, take a towel, dry it off. It lasts longer that way. Little really? tip. Yeah, a little tip there. And it was one of those things when he said that to me, I literally made fun of him in the moment during the interview. And a year later, we had him back on the show, and I played the clip. I was like, you know what, Clark? I made fun of you. And it turns out you were absolutely right. The blades last a lot longer if you just take that extra step and dry off. So, we should, if listeners are buying Harry's blades, go ahead and leave them wet so that you order more. <laughs> if I grew any facial hair, I would have an opinion on this, but... Don't you? You never... I'm like 12 years old. <laughs> It's still a prepubescent. You're like the opposite of Ron Gross, who who shaves in the morning and then by like noon, Ron kind of needs to shave again. Yeah. Speaking of Harry's, Harry's offers a great shave at a good price. They make it easy and they'll ship it right to your door. So get started shaving with a free trial set that includes a razor handle, five blade cartridge, and shave gel. Thirteen dollar value for free. Just cover the shipping. Go to Harry's.com/fool. That's Harry's.com/fool. As I mentioned at the top, this Sunday is the 42nd Marine Corps Marathon. Uh, it will be my second time running. It's making my stomach hurt that I'm not going. Yeah, you're, but you're being smart. We talked about this before. You you got a little bit of a knee injury, and you're not going to push it. Yeah, Even I've though... been injured for like two years, and I'm finally getting over sort of the last one, rolling injuries. And I deferred a few weeks ago. I told you I deferred because my knee was feeling pretty good, and I but I decided I didn't want to be working up to a marathon on a knee that felt 80%. That's a good move. So, uh, last year, uh, it was pretty darn hot the day of the marathon. And what did it, When you finished, what was it, about 70? Oh, no. When I finished, it was uh, 80. 80. It was uh, 80. And that's, so, that's, actually, that's actually pretty warm. Yeah, it is actually pretty warm. I've, so. run, I've run many marathons in that, in that kind of temperature. But I'm fairly advanced. I was going to say, this was my first time ever running <laughs> yeah. a marathon. And uh, I crossed the finish line, and 10 minutes later, I was on a stretcher on my way to a medical tent. So I looked at the forecast. It's not going to be, at the moment, it's not forecast to be quite that warm. No, but it's it looked gonna, it's like uh, four hour finishers would be somewhere around 70 degrees, it said. Yeah, let's let's assume for the sake of this conversation that I'm going to be over four hours. The average time at Marine Corps is usually about 4:20. I am going to go out on a limb and say that at, I've actually I actually wrote an app that could predict this pretty well for most people. If you threw in the temperature and a recent race performance, it could predict your marathon time uh, according to the temperature. I'm going to guess that most people are going to have to add in the four hour range are going to have to add about 10 minutes. In my experience. As a sort of three-hour type marathoner, if it were if it was going to be eighty degrees, I was probably going to run more like a three oh eight or something. So I was curious about uh, hydration because that's obviously the big tip that you hear 
Yeah, I wish, invest- weather, I wish weathermen would quit telling people to hydrate. <laughs> in investing, we, we talk about conventional wisdom all the time. And uh, it seems like when it comes to running, uh, conventional wisdom is, hey, if it's hot, make sure you hydrate out there. Well, it's, it, even just when it gets warm here in the summer, people say that. And it's, it's actually a really a dangerous piece of advice. And uh, Tim Noakes is, uh, is sort of wrote the book on running, the book The Lore of Running, which is this giant thick book that I have that has all of the studies. I mean, it's referenced uh, really exquisitely uh, on all of these kinds of issues. And he was the first guy, one of the first guys to raise the alarm on overhydration or hyponatremia, which is uh, results from people just drinking too much. And a lot of it is because they're being told, just keep drinking, keep drinking, keep drinking. Uh, and, And you can only, you can only sweat so much. Um, and and what happened uh, years ago? Noakes found that you know a huge percentage of Ironman finishers were overhydrated at the end. And hyponatremia is actually a, a very serious condition that kills you know people every year. Whereas so-called dehydration, I'll make the scare quotes for all of you out there. <laughs> the army did tests on soldiers years ago and found that you couldn't actually dehydrate people and then march them in in the desert. Like you couldn't even kill them really. I mean, they generally would just sort of collapse and quit doing and quit doing the work and become irritable, but it never really turned into this life-threatening situation. So the the simple thing to remember is that when you're in a race like this and it's warm, you drink when you're thirsty and that's it. You don't try to drink ahead of your thirst. You don't drink because your legs are cramping. There's no connection between leg cramps and any sort of state of hydration or, or and it's, it has nothing to do with loss of salt or anything like that. It's because it's you ran too fast. You drink when you're thirsty. And if you feel really lousy on a warm day, you need to take walk breaks. And if you feel really lousy, you need to sit in the shade for a while. Now, we were talking about your experience last year. I thought you just had Chris had, had explained what happened. I thought he just had postural hypotension, which is right when you stop running, your blood vessels are all dilated on a hot day. Uh, and all of a sudden, you don't have the pumping action of your leg muscles helping constrict your, your vessels and move your blood around, and you feel faint. And, and if this happens, you know, get, get your head down, get your feet elevated, and it usually fixes the problem very quickly. Uh, but then you told me they actually tested your blood last oh, year. Oh, yeah, yeah. They uh, so I uh, and actually the last episode of Market Foolery last year I talked about this uh, in an episode I, th- I think that is entitled "Scenes from a Medical Tent." But it was basically they put me on a stretcher, they get me over to a heat tent where they start packing my body in ice, and then they they took some blood just to test it and found that my sodium levels were quite low. And they yeah. said, "Oh, we got to get an IV yeah. in this guy." And that, and to be clear, that's not because you lost too much sodium. It's because you put in too much liquid. Uh, your body actually is really good at relegate, uh, regulating your sodium loss through sweat. And uh, if it senses that you're kind of getting down on sodium, your your sodium level and your sweat will vary. And all this is in Noakes' book and in his his book, especially on is called Waterlogged, is on this very issue. But then we talked. I hadn't realized this had happened. They did all the right things by testing you. What often happens in the in the end of these races is that they just assume that if you feel crummy, you're dehydrated. And this is what this is why people say hydrate, hydrate. Well, if they start sticking more, more water in you at this point, they can actually kill you. So it's really good that they're on the ball at the end of Marine Corps. Uh, but the Marines we, know what they're doing generally. Yeah, but we talked and, and, and you said that you were you were drinking too much because you felt crummy, your legs were hurting, and you just kept drinking, right? And I kept sweating, and I thought, God, I'm losing so much fluid. I just So I would, at water stops, and there are water stops at the marathon every two miles or so, 
they hand out water yeah. and they also hand out yeah. Gatorade. And for the second half of the race, I was double fisting. I was taking yeah. one of each, and I just thought, oh, I just got to get more fluids in me. Yeah, and um, Gatorade itself won't stave this off. I mean, uh, uh, even these sports drinks with salt in them, that that won't help. You can make yourself sick with too much water even by drinking those. Pepsi shareholders don't want to hear you say that. Yeah, well, that's actually <laughs> part of the issue is that uh, the sport drink companies had the research that showed this years ago, and they chose to ignore it because it wasn't convenient uh, to selling their product to races. But the, the short of it is drink when you're thirsty, and you will know if you're dehydrated because you'll be really, really thirsty. Now, what is your last year? You finished. What was it? Five hours ish. Just, uh, just under five hours. What are you shooting for this year? Uh, I'd like to, do, you know, if I can come in under four thirty, that'd be great. Okay. Yeah, I would pad that out a little and just do not be afraid to take some walk breaks if you feel lousy. That's the most important thing. I've been there. I've I've drunk too much water and liquids when I felt lousy. Luckily for me, and I'll say lucky, like I start to feel uncomfortable. My stomach starts to slosh and I feel bloated and then I have to pee. So I get a very early signal from my own body as to when I need to quit. But some people don't get that. So uh, last thing, uh, when it comes to liquids, last year during the race, uh, there's uh, a, a part in Washington D.C. of of this course that goes over Haynes Point, and uh, there's the Blue Mile, which is and we've talked before about just one of the truly great things about the Marine Corps Marathon is just how inspiring it is. Just the not just the crowds that are there cheering you on, but just the other people who are running. There are always people who are running with a, a sign on their back in honor of someone. Um, and there are often runners who are uh, uh, in the military and they've got prosthetic legs or mm-hmm. you know limbs and, and that sort of thing. So it was this odd occurrence where the first part of Haynes Point is the Blue Mile uh, in, all, in honor of uh, uh, fallen soldiers. And it's just sign after sign after sign of people we've lost yes. in wars. And, uh, and last year, I couldn't help but notice that every single one of them was younger than me, which is incredibly sobering. That's the first half of Haynes Point. On the way back, uh, the opposite experience in that somehow out on Haynes Point, which is somewhat remote, there were these two women who had set up a table, a card table, and they had taken it upon themselves to hand out uh, Duncan Munchkins and mimosas, and I never passed those up. Really, because these two women looked like they had uh, imbibed a few on their own. They were having a great time at ten in the morning when I was going by them. So don't overhydrate, but maybe if I have the chance at a mimosa again. I think you can't skip the stuff that makes the race fun, even if you're shooting for a PR. I, uh, my first Boston, I was unfamiliar with the kiss a Wellesley woman uh, situation in the Wellesley Scream Tunnel, which is that there's all these college women out and they're, they're screaming like crazy. It's so loud that you're, like your hair stands on end. That's amazing. And then lots and lots of them have these signs saying, kiss me, I'm from wherever, and you're supposed to you know, like kiss a college woman. And I was running by, and I thought, oh, that's kind of demeaning. And then I thought, well, these are women at Wellesley College. They don't have a sign. They're not, like, they're, if they're holding the sign, this is a thing for them that they want to do because it's funny or it's tradition or whatever. And I decided I was going too fast. And I decided, well, you have to, you know, 
you have to do this or your race isn't going to count. Part of the experience. Yeah. Really? Is that is that how it works? That's in my mind. I think you shouldn't be allowed to win the Boston Marathon unless you've you've gone ahead and kissed a Wellesley woman on the way through because, you know, and men and women either side, I think that you should have to do that like I think you should have to stop for your mimosas or whatever. My, I was, I was going to say cuz the the Boston Marathon course also goes by my alma mater, Boston College, mm-hmm. and there are frequently students handing out beers. So and I, I take every one of those. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have fun. To me, the race, it, it, it doesn't count unless you also had fun. All right. Seth Jason, thanks for being here. Mm-hmm. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>